Reading from Psalm 46, verse 1 to 10. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Good morning, church. I hope you enjoyed your extra hour of sleep. I know it was good uh, for me, and I see a few more smiles this morning. Maybe that's uh, connected uh, to the extra sleep that we got. Uh, as we, we ended Missions Month last, uh, last week, uh, but we want to continue on this week uh, with that kind of theme of missions and thinking about the Christians and churches around the world. And I have a little bit of, bit of an update from our, our missions department uh, if, you, if you see this picture here, uh, we've been going to Ghana for the last maybe seven years at least, and through the pandemic, uh, we've taken a pause just because uh, some of the borders were closed and it was hard to get in. Uh, but this is Pastor Abraham Labure uh, in the green shirt there, and he's a local church planter with the Evangelical Church of Ghana. We visited him and the church uh, at Zabrama, which is a village in the middle of Ghana quite a few times. And uh, earlier this year, he uh, was church planting in Zambrama, and then he transitioned over to church planting in this area, this village called Damanakwanta, uh, where uh, it's really remote and it's hard to access certain places. And he had a, a, a request that whether our church here in, Laura, in Vancouver were able to provide funds for him for a new motorcycle, uh, for him to go and to preach the gospel and to bring it to the villages around. So this is him uh, receiving a motorcycle, and he wants to send his uh, con uh, really sincere uh, thanks and the church there. Uh, just a smile. I'm not sure you can see it in the photo there, but a, a totally new uh, motorcycle there that he's able to go and literally proclaim the gospel. Uh, it's going to power him and his Bible and his family uh, to these some really remote uh, places. And there was a little bit of extra funds uh, left over. He's actually going to use it to be part, uh, to help build the new church there. So on the right-hand side, that's the old church building in the village. And the left side, they already started some uh, construction of the church there. So I just want to pass it on, on behalf of Pastor Abraham, to you here uh, for your generosity and for the ways that you're supporting uh, the village and the people there in, in Ghana. And I remember my, my first trip to Ghana 
uh, meeting some of the local pastors there. And there was this one pastor by the name of Pastor Mark, and he has this house and his little farm and a family of three. Remember, his newborn daughter was bathing in a bucket of uh, warm water. It was super cute. And they didn't have very much, but they're thankful for everything that they have. And they had this little hut. We're walking, he's showing us this corn maze, and he has this little hut in the middle of the field. And we asked him, hey, Pastor Mark, what's that hut for? And he's like, he smiles, looks at us, and he's like, this is where I shake the heavens with my prayers. I'm like, wow. Wow. <laughs> he's like, this is where he goes and he prays. And this is where he goes and prays for his church, for his family, and for his nations. And I'm thinking about him as he's living in, uh, in a hard place. And there are many Christians around the world who are really living uh, difficult lives, lives that are faithful but difficult uh, nonetheless. And you're thinking, what does that have to do with me here in Vancouver in 2022? And I'm hoping today through this message that we'll receive confidence too, that we'll receive confidence and comfort from this psalm, from this passage that Caitlin just read for us. In fact, Psalm 46 is what is known as, within a collection of what's known as the Psalms of Confidence, Psalms of Comfort for times when life is hard, life is difficult. See, verses 4 to 7 talk about the sufficiency found in God. And in verses 8 to 11 talk about the victory found in God. But with the time we have today, that's probably a mini three-part series right there. I'm just going to focus on verses 1 to 3 about the refuge and strength we have in God. As you think about our life and maybe your life, uh, the world, where do you think the safest place is on earth? The safest place. Where is the safest place on earth. Maybe you think of the White House that houses the President of the United States. Maybe you think of the Vatican secret archives, which really isn't a secret. It's actually a mistranslation uh, of the Latin, which just means private. It's actually a private collection. Uh, but you have to be at least 75 years old in order to access it in a scholar of some sort. Maybe you think of the Vatican archives. Maybe you think of Buckingham Palace, uh, where the late queen once uh, lived. Or maybe for some of us, like my daughter, it's Costco. Uh, because it's the best place on earth for her. Samples, wow. Free food, wow. They have the best, they have everything and the best return policy, unparalleled uh, compared to any other uh, company there is in the world. I digress. But what's the safest place you think of in the world? And as safe as those, some of those places might feel for you, none of those is safe compared to the security and the refuge we find in Jesus. And this is what the church proclaims as they're going through persecution, as we go through a society that's becoming more and more anti-Christian, where verses like this become true for us, found in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 10, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Today, I'm hoping that we'll find this hope and this strength and the security and the refuge of God. We're titling this sermon, Finding Hope in a Secular Culture, because that's the kind of culture that we're living in. And the big idea is this for us, we find hope in the reality, not in the fantasy, but in the reality of our refuge in God. Psalm 46 starts this way, God is our refuge and strength in ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, 
Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with, its, with their surging. Just hone into the word in the beginning right there. God is what? God is our refuge. This word for refuge means a place of trust, a place of safety. A refuge is a shelter or a protection from danger or distress. A couple nights ago, maybe even last night, the wind was howling. I was looking outside. I'm like, this is terrible. I see the leaves. I just, I just, I just, I, I just, um, I, I was raking the yard and I saw the yard covered again. I'm like, this is terrible. But I saw, and then I heard, we, we, and the next morning we went down the road and the, half the tree, I think, down the block fell down and blocked our road. I was thankful for that night that we were in a place of safety, in a place of refuge during the storm. And that's the main idea here of the Hebrew word here of refuge. It's security. We find our security. We find our safety in, in God. And not only is, our, is he our refuge, but he's also our strength. The one who powers us, the one that helps us to move, the one that helps us to have our being, the one that helps us to go forward when it's the most difficult. And not only is he our refuge, not only is he our strength, but he's ever-present. He's ever-present in our times of trouble, meaning he's always with us, he's always with you. He does, we don't need to go looking for him, but he's present. He's present with us. You see, if God is our refuge and our strength, and if God, he's our ever-present help, if those are true, the psalmist says, therefore, therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea. And when we think of the earth, in our part of the world here, it's pretty secure. It's pretty steady. We think of the earth as pretty solid, right? Like we can trust in the earth, even though my, in, I got to bring this up as a major in geography. We live in an earthquake zone. <laughs> so one day that big earthquake is coming for us. But at the moment, we, when we walk out, when the moment this morning, you walked out of your apartment, walked out of your house, walked out of your townhome, wherever it is that you live, that you thought like, hey, the earth, it's, it's there. It's steady. It's not going to go Oh, wait, we don't think of the ground as shifting and moving. It all seems pretty immovable uh, to me, and we never really think of it, I think of it as falling from underneath us. See, growing up, I loved the playground. I, I loved the monkey bars and playing on the playground and having a few kids now. Uh, well, three kids. <laughs> now we have the playground quite a bit. And I realized this is how weak I am. Right? Go on the monkey bars. I'm like, I used to be able to swing and skip a few, maybe three, jump around, jump from high places. But now I'm terrified. Like, Cohen's like, come on, Dad. Come on. I'm like, <laughs> holding on to the side. I'm on the swing for a little bit. I come off. I'm like, hold on, son. I'm kind of dizzy. Um, I just need to calm down a little bit. There's a real fear in things that I once enjoyed, things that I felt safe and secure once. Now there's a real fear. I was playing basketball this week at Pentasport in our team. Last Tuesday, and I haven't felt so fragile. I felt so fragile. I was playing this team. I don't know how old the person I was checking, but he looked pretty young and definitely moved pretty young uh, to, to, to me. And I definitely felt my age at that moment. And I was like, hey, I'm going to go up for that block, or for that jump shot, but maybe I'm going to take it easy because I might not, I might come down, but I might not get back up <laughs> afterwards. You see, as we get older, our fears, they can grow in many areas. They grow in many, many areas, and just because we become, become Christians, I want to say this to us this morning, that just because we become Christians, it doesn't mean we don't have fears. It doesn't mean life is easy and it's worry-free, but some of these fears, they might be legitimate, might not, might not be legitimate, legitimate, but some of them, they actually are. 
See, this fear, this anxiety, this uncertainty, it's something that we all battle. If you're human here today, it's something that we all battle. But th- there are things in life that make us feel like the ground is taking out from underneath us. That there are things that happen to us in life that feel like the ground is falling from underneath us. Real life moments and happenings that make us feel like we're on unsteady ground. There are moments where our whole world as we know it seems to be rocked and we lose our orientation and we're stumbling and we're trying to find our way through life. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you don't know your purpose and you don't know who you are and you're trying to find that out about yourself. Maybe you're in a crisis of faith. It's been difficult finding a community and finding people that you belong to and finding a community where you belong to and people know you and you know them. Maybe you're going through health issues and you're going through the battle of your life. Maybe you're worried about your kids and how they're going to grow up and what's going on to them. Maybe you've lost your job and you don't know what's next. Maybe your marriage is going through a rough season. I'm not sure what it is. But you're asking questions about your life, and you're asking, how long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? Where are you? And if you haven't gone through moments like that, they will come. There will be moments like that when we're rocked, and the ground underneath us seems like it's shaking. And it says here, right in the Psalms, that though the earth give way, what you thought was once steady, though that will give way, and though the waters roar and foam, God is our refuge. He's our security. He's our strength. He's our ever-present help. Did you catch that? That God is present in your pain, in your suffering, in the hardship. He's with you in the times when you're questioning and wandering the most. So the hope is that we will not fear because we draw on not our own strength, but we draw on the security and the strength of God. And in life, when all things seem unstable, we need to depend on the one who is stable all the more, the one that is foundational, the one that is bedrock to our lives, that the moment when everything else seems to be moving, we need to stand on Jesus who is immovable and we can, in which we see, in which when we stand upon him, we can see the rest of the world most clearly. And you're like, Doug, that sounds great. This psalm sounds great. Maybe I'll hang it up on my wall. Uh, I'll write on a poster note (laughs) on my mirror. Uh, Maybe I'll I'll post it on my IG stories. I don't know. But practically, how does this look like? Practically, what do I need to do? How do I live this out? That's what I want to focus on with the remaining time here. Maybe this is for you right here. The first thing, and when you're facing, when the ground is unsteady, and things, you're losing your orientation, the first thing we ought to do here, as we learn from the Psalms and we learn from Scripture, is to invite God into your fears. He brings in this, this steadiness. He's able to calm us down. He's able to help us find our bearings in that moment when we invite God into our fears. When you encounter fear and struggles in your life, who and where do you go to first? Because how we answer that question matters. How, that, how we answer that question matters. And I believe one of the greatest lies that plagues us in our current culture is the idea of, of being fully self-sufficient. Being fully self-sufficient the idea, if you go into uh, Indigo and you look at the self-help books, the idea overwhelmingly is this, that you are enough, period. That you are enough, that you can do all things, that you can make it through whatever it is that you got to make it through. And as one writer puts it this way, self-sufficiency is just an illusion 
that blinds us to God's provisions and presence. That when we think we're self-sufficient, when we think we can do it all ourselves, that's when we're actually blinded the most. But we see in Scripture that our lives, it's really just a mist. As it says in James 4, 14, or like withering grass in Isaiah 40, that we don't really see the full picture, that we're only here for a moment and then we're gone Next, but we see in overwhelmingly the theme over scripture, especially in the New Testament, is Jesus encounters sinners and broken people. He says time and time again that it's okay not to be okay, that you're not to depend on your own self-sufficiency. You can't do it on your own, and that's why God sent Jesus so that he can live that perfect life and die a death that, we, that he didn't deserve so that we can have this new life, this, this, this newness, this life that we can't strive for on our own. And we live in a culture where we want to say and believe, you are enough, but let's go a little bit further than that. Yes, you are enough, but that's because Jesus is enough. That's because God is enough. That's because God is in your life holding you firm all the way from within. As we read in, uh, later on in verse 5, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. God does not only surround you, but God is within you, the very strength, giving you the strength to move on, the heartbeat to take the next breath and to take the next step. See, because God, he is our Lord and he is with us. He is with you. In the wandering, in the pain, God is not only with us, but he surrounds us in whatever it is you're going through, that you're never truly alone. So when we're going through times of fear and anxiety and unknown, who do we go to? Do we invite God into our fears? And maybe we need to reorient our, our lives and our ways, especially in the way that we pray and the way that we bring our concerns and anxieties and fears to God. We could pray. We could pray for God to remove that fear and to take it away. But what if we started praying for God to reveal to us why we're so afraid? What if we started praying for God to help us to see how he is present with us in the fear? How we start praying that even though we're experiencing fear and unknown, for us to experience his presence all the more. To get to the root of it. Why am I so afraid? Why am I so afraid? What causes my anxiety? You might remember when the disciples, they were caught up in the storm in the Sea of Galilee as, as it's recorded for us in Matthew 4, 39. Jesus did this. Like, the disciples were running around scared and they, talked, they shout at Jesus, like, don't you care that we're about to die? And then Jesus gets up in verse 39. He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. I wonder in that moment whether Jesus was really rebuking and calming the storm outside or inside the disciples' hearts. That in that moment, that Jesus is really calming the storm inside the heart of his disciples. Because so many times, God, he doesn't promise to remove every single storm that we go through, but he does promise to be with us in the storm that we go through. He's with us every single step along the way. And God says in 40, chapter 46, verse 10 here in, in Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. Are we still enough? Are we seeking him enough? Are we inviting him into the situation? So invite God into your fear. Secondly, replace your fears with the word of God. This Bible was gifted to me a while ago, this gigantic Bible. 
because uh, he's like, Doug, you got to be holier, so you got to read a big Bible. <laughs> this is hefty. I'll give you, give you a try. It's a, it's a good workout. But you see Bibles around the world. Many parts of the world, they're locked up. We're Christians. They do not have access to the world. They're literally bound and, 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 and restricted and burned and, and put aside. Christians around the world go around seeking out the pieces of the word literally. I was just sharing this in our community learning class before this, that in, in many prisons around the world, they maybe smuggle drugs and weapons, but in these prisons around the world where Christians are in prison, they're smuggling Bible verses, little snippets of, of Bible verses. Be still and know that I am God. S- slip it into the cake or <laughs> into the pen and, and, and bring it over. And around the world, there's Christians that are working hard to unbound the word, and to make it accessible for people. Why? Why do people do that? And I, I was thinking about this, that you might actually, I, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about our culture and our day and age where I can read my word and bring it with me wherever it is that I go, that I can go onto the bus, or I can go into the mall, I can sit there and read my word, and maybe most people wouldn't say anything to us. And I was thinking about that, I'm like, wow, this is such thankfulness that on every single Sunday, that I get to come before you and teach this? Come on. Every single Sunday, I get to come here openly and freely, open the word and to teach this. Why? Because it's the word of God. It's the breath of life. It's the way that we're sustained. Throughout the world, as Christians are being persecuted and crushed, they're holding on to their identity in Jesus, and they're holding on to the word. They're holding on to the word. As we read in 2 Corinthians 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that every Christian, everyone who believes can be equipped and sustained and empowered and strengthened. So when we face our fears, what do we face our fears with? What if we replace our fears with the word of God instead. As Andrew Vanderbilt, uh, or Brother Andrew, writes in his book, The Exodus Mandate, the word of God needs to saturate our minds. The word of God needs to saturate our minds if we want to know and follow God's will. And this Brother Andrew, he's a Dutch missionary, you might recognize his name, who's best known as the God, uh, as God's smuggler. Uh, because in, in the 50s, uh, when a lot of communi- uh, countries were turning into communist regimes, he would go in his blue beetle, you can't really see it here, it's a blue beetle, and smuggle Bibles uh, across uh, the, the borders uh, that had no access to the word. And when he was crossing the border, he would often pray, and I quote, Lord, in my luggage, I have scripture I want to take to your children. When you were on earth, you made blind eyes see. Now I pray, make seeing eyes blind. Do not let the guards see those things you do not want them to see. He ended up uh, starting and founding Open Doors, which is now a global, a worldwide organization, which up to his death this past September uh, was operating in 60 countries, distributing 300,000 Bibles and 1.5 million Christian books of training materials and discipleship manuals every single year, all across the world. And he says this near the end of his life as he's doing a, one, uh, an interview. And the interviewer asked him, what would you do uh, if you were to live it all again? He says this, if I could live my life over again, 
I would be a lot more radical. (laughs) The word of God is the life that we need. Are we reading it? Are we feeding on it? Are we saturated by it? It's the word of God percolating in our minds. I'm going through the worst time of my life. What comes to your mind? God is our refuge. He's our strength and ever-present help in trouble. I'm struggling, Doug, today with self-esteem and anxiety. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. There's just so much noise in this world, and I can't hear God. I don't see God. I don't know what's going on. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. How do we address our fears? What do we replace our fears with? Is it with the word of God? Is it with his voice? Or is it with something else? So invite God into your fears. Replace your fears with the word of God. And lastly, share your fears with someone. Share your fears with someone. What's fascinating, you do a dig, a dive into the word refuge, you'll find it time and time again throughout the Old Testament. In ancient Israel, there's something called Levitical cities, where there are these cities that were set aside uh, for the tribe of Levi, so the priestly tribe. And we read this in Numbers 35, that there's some 48 cities that were set aside, and six of them were cities of refuge, where people could run to, uh, to find safety. Uh, they, would, they would hide, and, and they would be, find hiding from their avenger. Because why? These people that run through the cities, that have actually committed some crime. They committed some crime, they've done something wrong, and they will go uh, to the, uh, these cities and find refuge for the moment uh, until they're tried, uh, until they can get a fair trial and to, and to see. But here's the idea here, that maybe when we see these types of city of refuge in the Old Testament, there's this kind of types of Christ that they kind of push for, proclaim this Jesus, because for those who have done wrong and sinned, they can find refuge in this city. And that's Jesus. That's Jesus, who is the perfect refuge, the perfect place of rest for all those who have sinned, for all those that have fallen away. And as people of God, that ought to be us as well. We're meant to offer places of refuge to to people. We ought to be a, a a place of safety, a place where people can come to us and maybe us to them and share our fears with them. No judgment, no shaming, no guilt. Just come and be like, hey, I'm struggling with this, and I'm a sinner, I'm broken. And then you're like, me too, (laughs) me too. How can I bear this with you? How can I carry this with you? And I know in the text of Galatians 6 here, it's in terms of confession and helping each other when we sin, but I think it's applicable here as well. Galatians 6, 2 says this, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. You fulfill the law of Christ. When you carry each other's burdens, you're living out the ways of Jesus. And does carrying each other's burdens mean we need to stop everything every single time? No. No, but it does mean we need to listen. It does mean we need to listen. It does mean we need to be there to to be a friend. It does mean we need to pray for each other and to walk alongside each other. I know we're all busy and we all have things going on, but carrying each other's burdens, when we have the mentality, creates this space of safety for people. It builds a place of connection and, and relationship for those around us. So do you have a place of refuge? Do you have someone to go to? In your fears, in your anxiety, who do, you, who do you have to bring it to? Who do you trust? Who can you share your heart and your deepest pain and secrets with? 
I want to end with this. Have you ever thought why we call this space that you're sitting in today, why do we call this the sanctuary? Every single Sunday when we're walking through the space, this is, quote unquote, the main sanctuary. But why do we say that? Why do we, do we call, it, call it that? A place of sanctuary is a place of rest for anyone who comes in. That LLC, that's the prayer for us. As a church, that as LLC, it will be a, a community, a place where people feel safe and enough to be, feel safe enough to be who they are. No masks, no shame, no guilt, a place where they come and find rest and refuge. More importantly yet, that this is a call for all of us to create a space where people can meet God, and to experience God, that every single Sunday we can come into this place, every single time we meet together, that people can be who they are and can encourage each other. Yes, we can spur on each other to be more like Jesus, to remind each other that though the earth gives way, and though the waters foam and roar and the mountains quake, even though everything in life might feel like it's out of place and we don't know what's going on, still God is greater. Every single time we come together, remind each other, God is greater. God is stronger. Still God has it all together when your life, our lives are falling apart. Because through him and for him and by him are all things. Are all things. And the church It's worth an amen. It's worth an amen. As we come into time of communion, God invites us. God invites us to the table. God invites us to have a meal uh, with him. If you go to the next slide there. 